Hey guys, thanks for checking out the podcast, but I got a special mess. Special what am I beatboxing? I got a special, me- why can't I say special message for y'all? The Flight Attendant Joe series. Fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. Flight Attendant Joe and I'm just here for the layovers. Each ebook on sale right now for $4.99 on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. Listen, I may not be able to speak, but I can write and I'll make you laugh. And that's a cheap ass price. Go over there after the podcast, purchase those. They'll be on your Kindle, your iPad. Your, you can read them anywhere. I don't care. Just laugh. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. This week, Zachary Leonard called in. He is an author, a photographer, and a flight attendant, and he published his first book last year, Help Me Hold On to This, and other short stories. We talked about some serious shit on this episode. We talked about what it's like being a gay teenager, growing up, having to lie about who you are, who you love, and how freeing it is when you can finally let everyone know who you truly are. We talked about dates gone wrong. We talked about what it's like when you want someone so bad, but you can't have them. We've all, you don't have to be gay or straight to connect with that. We've all wanted someone we can't have. Then we played a game of Let's Get Grounded, where he shares with me who he would sit with on a long flight, and I'm still upset about it. Welcome, Zachary Leonard. So how you doing, Zachary? Thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm doing really well. How are you? Uh, well, you know, I had a little bit of too much wine last night. And um, by little, you're <laughs> going to think that I'm a pussy, but I only had three glasses and I was done. You know what? Me and my friend shared two bottles last night, so I've got you beat. So you basically each had one bottle of wine? Yeah, we could say that. I, um, I've drank two bottles of wine. I think two bottles myself the max I've ever had. And I ended up getting into this huge fight with my friend and he almost shot me. He was like, I'm going to shoot you if you don't go to bed. So I, oh. um, so now I just drink three glasses, but thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. I just want to jump right into your book. Help me hold on to this and other short stories that came out on November 9th. Um, have you, have you actually Googled yourself? I have not. I okay. never have. I didn't think it would be worthy. Oh, well, you're going to love this. Are you ready? Yeah, for hey, sure. Okay. Hey, Google, who wrote the book, Help Me Hold On to This and Other Short Stories? Zachary Leonard wrote, Help Me Hold On to This and Other Oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't that great? Thank you, Google. That's- Enough. That's my assistant. You know, I'm not at Joe Rogan's level where I can have somebody in here doing that. So I just have my um, Google Home sitting by the computer. But isn't that cool? That's crazy. I've never even thought to do that with You're- my uh, Alexa. Oh, you're going to do it like 10 times a day. When I first did it, Matt was like, yes, we, my husband was like, yes, everyone knows you wrote that book. Yes. You know, you wrote that book and the cats do too. At first you were going to write a nonfiction memoir. Am I correct? Correct. That's what it started out as. And then you, you flip the script and then it became fiction with a sprinkle of nonfiction. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. What brought you to that decision? Originally it was like, it was almost like diary entries, I guess. So it was never meant to uh, see the light of day. It was more just something I was doing for myself because I'd finally been in a really good place in my life and I was trying to figure out what were the things in my head that I could be working on. So I decided to write out all the things that I had gone through. And then when I, I, I looked at it and I was like, you know, what? I think I can make something of this. I was working on a different book at the time and I just wasn't feeling really motivated at, by it at the time anymore. And so I was like, I actually feel really inspired by this. 
So how can I turn this into a book without it being um, too personal, too memoir-y? And so I decided to just go through it and fictionalize it after it had already been finished as almost like diary entries. So how much of it is true and how much of it is made up? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> I'd say every, it's, uh, there's 14 short stories and I'd say everyone is a little bit different um, when it comes to the, the balance of true versus false. But overall, I'd say, I mean, like a, a small, maybe 20% of the whole book is, is on it about, is, about me or about my life. Okay. Am I wrong in saying that you don't have, the character does not have a name? Am I right? Because I've read this book. He does, <laughs> yeah, he does not have a name. And I did that because I wanted it to be almost like an American Horror Story type anthology series where you could read all of the stories as individuals but then you get to like story four or five and you start to see how they're connecting to each other in different ways that are very tiny uh, and that you probably have to read it multiple times to really see and understand them. Okay. So I thought it would, if, if he doesn't have a name, you kind of get to decide through the series if all of the main characters are the same person or if they're oh. not. And that's up to you. So you're not going to give me the name of the character that you originally came up with. Cause I call him Zach, which is different than Zachary. <laughs> so mm -hmm. in my brain, I w cause I was so confused. I was like, Oh my God, did this happen? And then I was like, well, you're not enjoying the story, Joe, just read it as it's intended. <laughs> Stop trying to figure out what's real and what's not. And just go into it as this is a fiction story. And then I really, I, I really connected with the character who I named Zach. Yeah. So um, um, I will not tell you the original name because that name is being used in, and I love the name so much. So it's being used in book two. So I just don't want to oh, all right. talk well, about it. <laughs> I won't pressure you anymore. I want to get into the idea of what is real and what is not. So okay. how, how was your relationship with your parents growing up? Because you dedicate the book to them and your, um, I believe you dedicated to your parents and your um, siblings. Um, yeah. And in the book, this character says that they ever, their relationship with their parents is complicated, but getting better every day. Is there some truth in that? Yeah, for sure. And I think that we're even over that um, hump. Uh, I think that, I, and I explain it in the book, I think that it is a complicated thing, you know, and not everyone understands it. And it's hard to understand what it's like to be gay growing up in Indiana, unless you've done it. You know, like there's no way. And I think that a lot of the, the mishaps were, you know, we'll understand where I'm coming from. And then they would be like, well, understand where we're coming from. And I'm like, I can't, I can't, I don't know how you feel, but I just respect it. But please respect how I feel as well. Right. So it was a lot of, um, it was just a lot of back and forth and fights that started over very, very petty things. And I've talked about this with my parents very, very recently. And our relationship is absolutely wonderful. But I dedicated to them because uh, to my parents and to my siblings, because by the time it was time to publish this book, to hit the button and send it in, right. um, I felt finally I could bring anything to the table with them and they would do nothing but be supportive and lift me up. No judgment or anything. And, and that, was never, that was never actually on them. That was always my thing that I had to work on. They were always supportive. They were always loving. It was me that put the wall up, not them. Do you think that the wall that you just mentioned could be the, cause you know, when you write a book like this, you are kind of putting it out there. Like these stories could be true. They could be false, but it also protects you. Cause if somebody says, Oh my God, did you do this? No, 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 that that's not true. Yeah. 
It's almost like putting um, up a, it's like a safety net. Like mom and dad, you can read this book because only 20% of it's true, but I'm not going to tell you what's the 20%. Yeah, it's nice. That's, that's like a nice feeling to have, I'll be honest. So you were raised in Indiana. <laughs> was was your family religious? Were you raised in a religious household? For religious. Um, it wasn't like uh, you have to go to church every Sunday. We pray before every meal. But we, I did grow up reading the Bible and going to Sunday school and would you say you're still a religious gentleman today? Are you still? Or do you still go to church and stuff? Because of work, I don't go to church, uh, and it's a hard question to answer. Um, it's okay. something that I struggle with a lot, and I'm working on myself with that one specifically a lot. What What part of that are you struggling with? It's a lot of confusion when you're young because you're told one thing for a very long time when you're very very young, and even though I have family who are very religious who are very supportive of me. It's hard uh, to change your mindset on that one because you're hearing from a very, very, very young age what's right and what's wrong. And you are the epitome of what's wrong. And so, you know, if I heard that now, I'd be like, okay, whatever, leave me alone. But as a young child, it, it's imprinted in you, you know? So it, that's the struggle, getting over the, like, trusting that I am actually accepted in this community. Do you still struggle today with the fact of what you were told as a child um, in religion and that you're gay? Uh, you know, I, I sometimes, but I also have to like remind myself, I was never like outrightly told by family members that I was going to hell. My family was are, are not those people. They're not. You know, you, you pick it up from books and movies and um, uh you know, conversations across the room that are not about you, you know, but you overhear. And so my family has never been anything but kind to me, even after coming out. They've never been anything but kind and supportive. Uh, well, but I think that just, yeah, just with like the, the way that society is, you know. Uh, so it never came from them. It came from out, outside sources. When you were a kid, would you hear your parent? Like you just, you just mentioned something about you'd hear things in the other room. When I was a kid, my parents were, horrible, horrible human beings. And they would be like, look at that faggot. Look at that queer. Oh, if I, if you were, if you're, if you turn out to be queer, I'll, I will kill you. Now, was it at that level or was it just more like, you know, being gay isn't the right thing to do? It was never at that level. Oh, no one good. was ever that horrible. Yeah. Um, it's mostly like my cousins, you know, my older uh, male cousins, um, and I've, I've had conversations with them, them about these things. It's more uh, like when you make a joke about something, and to them, that's all it is. It's not malicious. You know, it's, it's a joke. My 10-year-old brain did not register it as a joke. It registered it as an attack. And, it's you know, you're already questioning what you are when you're 10, 11 years old. It's like, I know I'm different. I think this is how. Um, but I don't know exactly if that's real or if there's something wrong with me or if this is okay or right or wrong. And so you hear these jokes and they feel like attacks and then they just push you further down into a place where you feel like you can't talk about it, you know? Right. Because these are the people that you look up to. Yeah, exactly. On page 143 in your book, I'm going to read you um, a very powerful paragraph that I've highlighted here. 
Thinking back now, the lies felt so easy to tell, but they were only pushing me into a pile of shame, a little bit piled on at a time, slow enough that I didn't even notice at first, like it was normal to lie to the people you loved about who you were, to lie to the people you loved about how you loved. I love that is so like, I think like a 50 year old wrote that. Because <laughs> there's a lot of insight into that paragraph. When did you stop lying about who you were? You know, I came out when I was 19. Uh, it was my first semester of college. And I told my mom. And from that, I told my dad and my siblings. From there, I was up until that day, I was lying about everything I was doing. Because when you're lying about the person that you're in love with, you're lying about who you're with, what you're doing. You know, I'm not going to hang out with this person. I'm going here to hang out with this person because you don't even want to associate yourself with those people, you know, in the minds of others, because then it's the door that they could figure something out. And even after I came out, I was still lying all the time just because it was like habit, I guess, you know, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm 20 years old and I'm, and I'm out and my parents know it and I'm on the phone with my mom and, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to the movies with my friend Katie tonight. And I was actually going on a date with a boy. And I remember one time specifically when I met my very uh, first boyfriend, I, that's what I did. And then a few days later, I called my mom and I was like, I'm so sorry I lied to you. I actually went on a date with a boy, but I was just so terrified to tell you about it. You know, and because you do it so often, it's hard to get out of the habit of it. And I think that it was, pro it probably took two to three years to like completely get myself out of that mindset where my, you know, like the gay thing came up and it was like instinct to lie. Well, yeah, because the lie, you know, when you lie, it just, usually you have to lie, you start a lie and then another lie to cover that lie. And then before you know mm -hmm. it, it's just who you are. There's this term out there that I really don't like. It's the gay agenda. To, oh, the gays have an agenda. Yeah, my agenda is go to Target and not be fucking crowded with so many people. That's actually my agenda to get a good sale at Target, not to convert your twelve-year-old into into blowjobs. You know, do you feel yeah. do you do you think that you were afraid? Like, okay, my parents they accept me. I don't want to push the. I don't want to push it. You know, there's a thing that people think um, that when you come out, you change completely. Like. Oh, he came out. So now he has to be all flamboyant and dress different and act different. And I'm like, no, that's who that person always was. They were just hiding it from you because they were terrified. So I think that there was a little bit of that, you know, like I came out and I was still like suppressing things. Uh, I still like was not shopping at the places I wanted to shop for clothes, not wearing the shoes or the colors that I wanted to wear. Well, where do gay uh, you know, people I, shop? Where do gay? What were you shopping at Walmart before, and then now you wanted to shop at Macy's? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, like not to be stereotypical, but you know, it's, and I don't mean necessarily a place that I shop at style of clothing, dressing a little bit um, mature or nicer. You know, I, I like I used to wear like sweatpants and a hoodie and like socks with slides, and that's how I would go to school because it was like I don't want people to think I care about how I look. And then, you know, you get to this place where I'm like, actually, I love to wear the color purple. Purple is my favorite color. I'm going to wear that whenever I want. But you, you don't do that right away. It takes some time. <laughs> well, and you have to grow into that and you have to have confidence. Did you feel guilty about being gay and lying constantly as you were growing up? 100%. I think that that is something that I have just recently lost the oh. guilt for it all. Well, congratulations yeah. for that. That's actually Thank a big you. milestone. And as you get older, cause I'm, I'm sorry, what are you like? 24? I'm 
I, I could be your dad, but that's now we're going to talk about that. That's ridiculous. How old are your parents? Uh, out of respect for them, I will not say. Are they older than me? Um, I don't know how old you are. I'm f- oh, I'm 47. Um, both of my parents are older than you, but I will say that um, my mom looks like she's 24, oh. and my dad can still drink me under the table in his <laughs> almost 60. So you have good genes. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's good. You have good genes. You're going to look young, and you're going to be able to drink until you're in your seventies. You know, I hope so. That's the plan. Uh, well, you're very lucky because I'm 47 <laughs> and can barely drink three glasses of wine. <laughs> On page 73, you wrote something that really, really. Um, Oh, it almost made me cry. I had to read it three times. Do you mind if I read it? Yeah, of course. When I got to my room, I collapsed into my bed and sunk under the covers. I thought about an alternate reality where I was like everyone else. The only thing I wanted more than Connor was to not want him at all, to be normal. Then Katrina and I would be together and I'd be happy with that. I'd come home and talk to my dad about football and to my brother about girls. I wouldn't be lying here in my bed hating every piece of who I was. Did you spend a lot of time hating yourself? Of course. Yeah. I mean, and it wasn't necessarily because I was gay because I didn't really fully understand that that's what it was when I was 16 years old, I guess. Um, It was more about what being gay was giving me. You know, it was more, I I, I never really thought that being gay was a, a, a bad thing for me. Uh, but it was what it was handing me that that was hurting me so much and why I wanted to be different. Not because, not because I was gay, but because I, cause I always kind of had in my head like, okay, well, I'm going to grow up and move to New York and then it won't even matter, you know, but it was what it was handing me at the time that was so painful and hurtful that I didn't want it anymore because I was like, I'm in love with this person and I have to pretend like I'm not all the time. And that hurts. I have to sneak out in the middle of the night to see them and, uh, lie about it all the time. You know, this is my best friend. This isn't my boyfriend. Were your parents shocked when you came out? Oh, uh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> isn't that so funny? We all, oh, that same thing happened to me. It was like, it was like, I well, not with my mom. My mom acted like she had never met me before. You can't be gay. I'm like, do you not see me dancing to Whitney Houston in the basement? But yeah, you know, it was, it was more my friends. Well, my mom kicked me out, but my friends were like, Oh yeah, what do you, yeah, yeah, we've just been waiting for you to tell us. Yeah, and no one ever, you know, and I appreciate this because when I did come out, it wasn't, not a single person was like, well, yeah, we knew that. <clears throat> um, <laughs> but it, it, it was like the elephant in the room, you know, where it was like, yeah, okay, we understand, you know, but it, they knew, they, I mean, there was no way they could have. You know, you were with Whitney Houston, I was belting. Taylor Swift song in the shower. Like there, you know, it's just, it is what it is. And, and we both still do that. I, I'm still singing yeah. Taylor Swift songs in the shower. How much? Do 100%. You, how much do you think that? So the guilt you're, you're, you're a teenager, you're lying to your parents, you have all this guilt, you're laying in your bed or the character in the book is, but something tells me that what I read, there's a lot of truth to. Yeah, for sure. I was going to ask you how much of the religious upbringing do you think caused your guilt for accepting who you were that's a great question probably not very much because like i said we were religious but it wasn't like 
it, it wasn't like I was reading the Bible every night before bed or going to church every single Sunday. Religion was a small thing in my life. It, it was important, but it was in my uh, um, inner family. It was a small thing. In your journey, so I'm going to go to um, two of your chapters. Well, it's kind of like five. It's how to measure infinity. And then you have these four chapters that kind of make up one whole story. It's called Liar, L-I-A-R, which I really thought that was so clever. I love that. Thank you. Um, a lot of your stories, and please don't be offended by this, but when I was reading your book, a lot of your stories almost made me think of softcore porn. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> because you know, you're, um, you're out with your girlfriend and you're hanging out with your straight buddy and his girlfriend. Then all of a sudden he's kissing you and that's every gay boy's fantasy. And then mm -hmm. in another chapter, and I think it could be the, how to measure infinity, you're camping and the cute boy comes and you're like, Oh my God. And then you hook up in the tent, but not you, <laughs> Zach. Yeah. Which it's, is it's not me. Right. But so when you were writing these, were you like, where did this all come from? <laughs> I think that, you know what, the, the, the sex thing was something that I struggled with for a long time with the book, not my sex, with the sex <laughs> in the book specifically. And um, it, it came with, uh, because I, I wanted to add it, because I think it's imp an important part of a relationship, but I also didn't know how to make it not dirty. Right. Um, how to explain a situation without being gross, but not gross, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I struggled with that a lot, but it was. Yeah, there was no, um, let me clarify for the listeners. There was no, like, he stuck his penis in me. There was, it yeah. wasn't like I wrote it. Like if I would have wrote it, it would have been graphic. You wrote, it was very respectful. But when I was reading it, I was like, this is kind of hot if I was oh, 17. Wow. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. Who, does, who doesn't want to be camping and there's a hot boy in the next camp and then all of a sudden you're in the tent feeling each other up. I mean, I'm 47 and if I don't, I, I would love to, I do that with my husband. So it's hot, not a 17 year old, ladies and gentlemen, please. Yeah. <laughs> so when it came up, were you nervous about people reading it? Yeah. I mean, I was nervous. I mean, uh, really just like my, my mom or my siblings. I mean, I'm a 26 year old gay man. Like, let's not, let's not pretend I'm not, let, like, let's not pretend I'm a virgin by oh. any means. But, um, <laughs> oh my God, if you're, please don't share this with your mother, this podcast. Yeah. No, I'm going to send it to her directly. <laughs> oh. Please do. She's, uh, she's pretty cool. And, awesome. you know, um, and my mom read the whole book and she was very kind and, uh, open to talking about it. Oh, but, that's you know, great. What, kind, what, what was her feedback on the book? She texted me that day. I mean, she read it in one sitting, like most people. It's a very easy read, which is what I wanted. I wanted it to be like a quick, uh, easy read. Right. And she read it in one day and she texted me and she said, I just finished your book. I, I, I'm sobbing. I, I, I feel so horrible that you had to go through all of this alone. And I, you know, I had to say, okay, well, I didn't go through all of this. This, this isn't me. There's some of it that's real. And, you know, that was like the conversation that we, there was more, but it's personal. And that was, that was important for me. I think that is what, like I said earlier, like dropped off the last little sheds of guilt that I was feeling. You know, my mom could read it and, and, and sympathize for me about it. 
Well, I think that's a great growth for you guys. Like, so your mom reads this book and then she comes, she closes the book. She goes, I got to text him right away because the, the thought that my child could be going through all this pain is too much for me. And then you're like, well, mom, yeah. it's only 20% pain. Yeah, like, like, it's not all, but you actually did go through a lot of pain. You were laying in your bed, you were lying to your parents, you were trying to say, you know, this is, this is, it's rough being a gay teenager. Yeah, I would say that even though only 20% of like the plot is true, 100% of the feelings are true. Oh, and that's good to know. I like that. You know what I mean? So it's like the plot isn't real, but this is how I felt about it. You know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of straight people listening to this episode and they have kids, they have teenagers and, um, or they have little kids and there's a high probability there's, well, I shouldn't say a high probability, but there's a good, there's like what 1% that these kids could be a homosexual. So Mm -hmm. I think it's important to talk about this because parents, parents don't think about their kids turning gay. That's not something, yeah. you know, when you're sitting down, you're like, oh, he's going to go to college. He's going to, what was that? Is there some, that was weird. Oh my God. The government's listening. Um, it's probably my airline <laughs> listening. So, um, you know, parents sit around the table and they say, oh, you know, when Zachary grows up and, oh, I can't wait to be a grandparent and he's going to go to college. He's going to meet the girl of his dreams. And then he, he turns out to be gay and he's a flight attendant who writes books. So (laughs) I think, I think it's so important for parents to not have expectations of their children. Yeah. Um, I remember one story and I'm not, you know, I love my mother-in-law to death. Um, but I remember one time she told me that when, when she, when she found out Matt was gay, she mourned the expectations of what she thought his life would be. Yeah. And I just think that's so powerful, but it's a lesson that parents need to know, like your kid's going to be whoever they want. So just stop now and just let them be who they're going to be. What is it? Page 32 in the book. Um, this is kind of funny, actually. Um, and I want to know if this really happened to you, because I thought, oh, this really happened. You're on a date with some guy and you guys are really getting along and, um, you know, he tells you you're cute and blah, blah, blah. And then you say, thank you. I've enjoyed this date too. And he says, I'd like to see you again, but I do think you should consider getting a gym membership. I usually only date healthy fit guys. Did that happen? Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. I knew it because gay guys are such dicks and it so reminded me, so I have a friend, I'm not going to mention him. He listens to the show. And when he hears this, he's going to laugh, but he was on a date with a guy and, um, the guy's like, I really like you. And they were having a great day. And he goes, so the waiter comes over and they're about to order. And my friend orders. And this guy says, don't you think you should order the salad? Uh... I know. And I was just like that motherfucker. So, so tell me, can you go into more detail about this specific situation? Cause I read that and I was like, Oh, I know this is true. After my last relationship, I was decidedly single for a very, very long time. Uh, when I got this job, I was, um, as a flight attendant, I, I was like, I'm going to be single for a while. My last relationship did not end well. So I was like, I'm just going to be with me and myself sometimes. And then when I finally got to the point where I was ready to date, and I was on a dating app, I'm not going to say which one. And um, Why? And, because everyone's going to look you up? 
<laughs> I'm not on it anymore. Thank goodness. Oh, well, that's good. But, but uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I think that over those five years, I changed so much, right? Like I was 21 to 20, you know, or it's like 22 to 24, 25. And it shocked me when he said it because I didn't realize I had gained weight. You know, it was like, I, cause I see myself every day. I didn't realize like the overtime. And that's why it hit me so hard. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I do need to get a gym membership. Like, and then I spiraled out because I went back to like, like my iCloud photos on my phone and like scroll to the top of when I was in college. And I was like, Oh my God, I've gained like 40 pounds probably. So then I was like, Oh my God, this guy's right. I look horrible. But if I, you know, and that's what the gay community can do to you, right? Like mm-hmm. we are all so not all of us, a good amount of us are very insecure. So we are so confidently mean to other gay men because of jealousy, insecurity, whatever. And, and I've, I've been that person before too. I mean, never in such an outright loud way, but I mean, I've definitely in my head put other gay men down because I was jealous of them. So you would, and, put, um, so you would put, you would see somebody and if you were jealous of them, you would find things wrong with that. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, think- it'd be like, okay, okay, well, yeah, he's like really attractive, but his personality is super dull. You know, things like that. Right. <laughs> Which, you know, you know, and mostly in my head, it was just me comforting myself. Like, okay. I'm 26 and I'm, I'm chubby and I'm balding. And, you know, so that guy has great hair. I have to kind of like make an excuse for, for myself because of it, you know, give, it, and, it gives you, it gives you a pass. You could say, Oh, you know what? I'm not going to focus on what's wrong with me because I'm going to po- focus on what's wrong with him. And now I feel better. Yeah, exactly. And I, 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 I don't really do that anymore, it, but it, it does take time to get yourself out of that because we are so, um, you know, some of us are so unkind to each other about the way that we look or act. And, you know, I'm, I'm with someone now who, you know, loves that I'm a little, a little on the chubby side and, you know, so it works out for the better. And I look at myself now and I love myself now. And I look at those pictures that I, of even when I was in college and I am like, Zachary, like you were skinny, but you were unhealthy skinny. Like I'm healthier than I've ever been. And you know, like I love myself for that, you know? I think that so, well, look, that's that's very good growth. I love that. And mm-hmm. first, I just want to say you're adorable, and there isn't anything chubby about you. And I never, <laughs> ever want to hear you call yourself chubby again. You know, what? I don't say it in a bad way. And you know what? That guy and people who are like that are going to have a very high, hard time finding love. Only not because they're bad people, just because they are more worried about how people look than what's on the inside. And um, I think that's kind of sad. I see a lot of, um, you know, I follow people on social media and I see, and you know, I have, I have some skinny, skinny people on my, my social media that I follow. And I actually feel bad for them because I see them living their life. And I always think, yeah, you seem happy, but are you? Because you eat a Tic Tac and breathe in air for food and you're like 45 and you're at a rave, which can't be good for you. Yeah. I mean, it's two o'clock in the morning um, and you're 45. And I think, you know, I'm not trying to be a, an ageist or anything, but I, that, that can't, you can't be, I, I can't imagine somebody's happy. Mm-hmm. Do you know any people like that? Do you see yeah. people, do you see people, coworkers um, who you're like, yeah, you know, 
yeah, you may be 85 pounds, but I don't think you're happy. Yeah, and I think that um, it just, like, you just have to, of course, I see it all the time. And um, I think it's, they're just living in the past. Their, their glory days are over. Or, you know, there's no such thing as the glory days. Their whole life is wonderful. Um, but I Being think alive that it, is wonderful, right? The fact that we're breathing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that it just comes, you, you have to learn to age gracefully and be okay with the, the lines on your face and the fact that you're balding. And I'm, I'm balding, and I'm extremely insecure about it. It's probably the only thing about myself that I, I do not like right now. But even in that, every day I have to, you know, I'm like, okay, well, this is just who I am. I have to learn to love it and take it as it comes, you know? Why don't you get and, transplants? Why don't you get a transplant? Uh, you know, that just sounds scary to me. And if it does, like I've read horror stories about like, if it doesn't work, they don't take like the plugs will fall out and then you just have holes in your head and then you look worse than before. So I've decided I'm just going to like, let it go. And when it's time to shave my head, I'm going to shave it. I have a beautiful beard um, that I'm going to show off to the world. You know, I'm, a- I'm bald. Yeah, and, um, I do know. You do know that? I think everyone knows. I, I, I do know. <laughs> and I hate to tell you this. The idea of not having hair never goes away. Yeah. And um, it, I mourn that so much that, and my husband's always like, but you don't have to buy things for your hair. And I was like, you, but there's a difference between you shave your head because you want to. And then, oh, I, I have no option. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did this happen to me? How did I have, cause when I was younger, I had so much hair and then I woke up one day and someone said, Oh, are you going to shave your head soon? And I was like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Why would I do that? They're like, have you, <laughs> lo- horrible. Have, you, have you looked in the mirror? It's like, it's like the, um, you should order the salad and you should join the gym. It's like, what? Yeah. I, if I'm not working, I have a hat on 100% of the time. I have, I'm, I'm not right now, but I'm in my PJs in my living room. You're in your PJs in your living room. I got dressed for this, by the way. I did not because <laughs> I am slightly hungover. I made coffee and I poured a shot of Bailey's into it and I am comfy in my sweat. <laughs> so now that you've brought up alcohol, I'm going to go to another question. This character, Zach in the book, he seems to drink a lot. He does. Yes, he does. He like, at one point he's like, Oh, I polished off a bottle of tequila. And I'm like, dude, you're going to get, a, <laughs> this guy's going to need a hair transplant and a liver transplant, <laughs> but you're 26. Now is that it? Do you, can you polish off a bottle of tequila or is that just something that's written in the book for this character? I cannot anymore. Um, honestly in the past year or so, a shot of tequila is like, a way to make me instantly be sick. Uh, but when I was 23, 24, and I live, I was based in New York at the time, um, and that crazy lifestyle that comes with living in New York, mm-hmm. uh, where bars are open till 4 a.m., and uh, yeah, I, I, I could drink that much. Tequila is water to me. Oh. And um, I mean, I can't tell you, you know, at least a handful of times where I had to spend the night in. Penn Station, New York, because I had too much to drink and missed the train. And I'm like sitting on a chair next to uh, an abundance of homeless people, just like, I'm here because I had too much to drink and I missed my train home. And the next one's at 7 a.m. So 
Top of the morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, um, as you've gotten older, that has mm-hmm. diminished. You you don't do that anymore, or do you? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, like I definitely have do? my. Uh, no, okay. I, I I don't. Um, I drink Coors Light now, which is actual water, and <laughs> um, and if I drink anything more than that, I I have like a water between each drink, and I'm usually in bed by nine. Uh, and if I do, I, I do go out late sometimes, and that's a rare occasion that I get actual you know, uh, plowed in a drunk way. Plowed. Are we moving on to that topic? No, we I told you we, we are not. I told you that. No, no. And I'm not trying to, um, shame you for that because in my twenties, let me, uh, let, oh my, I drank like prohibition was coming back and I had to get as much in me as possible. Yeah. <laughs> And then as I got older, and then when I hit 40, it was like I would have a, a glass of wine and I'd be drunk. And, you know, now that um, – because you live in, in the same state I do, and when I moved here, like I had three sips of wine. I was like, am I hammered because we're a mile <laughs> up from the ocean? Have you received any um, negative feedback on your book? Um, do you go on and do you read reviews? How do you feel about reviews? Has anyone told you anything that you were like, what, when they read your book? I – personally have not seen a bad review yet and i i i mix i expect them i kind of that was something that i really prepared myself for like you know there's going to be good and there's going to be bad and like just you just like i was telling myself i just have to be okay with that i know that there's like 20 something reviews on amazon i've only read a handful of them and like i because i wanted to post some of them to advertise the book oh, yeah you should and and i had a friend pick them out for me because I, I just don't want, I don't, I don't want to know what people are saying. And I, I go to Amazon and I look at it and there's 20 something reviews. They're all five stars. And I'm like, these are probably like my mom and all of her friends. <laughs> so right. I, I, I haven't seen a bad review. I've seen a confusing review. Ooh, where I was what like, does that okay. mean? What's a confusing review? I couldn't tell if it was good or bad. It was like three paragraphs. I, I, I don't want to say too much because I, I know this person might listen to this and I don't want to embarrass them. Oh, okay. But it was on, it was on Goodreads actually, which was surprising to me that something was on Goodreads. And I don't know if they liked it or not. Oh. Um, because it was, it was just like, he did this very well. But then there was, and it wasn't, he, he never said anything was good or bad. It was just very, this is what it is. You, you might enjoy it. You might enjoy it. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, when, when my first book came out, I can remember it, it was the same situation where it was all the people I knew leaving five-star reviews, right? So yeah. my ego was just huge. I was just like, this book, I'm going to be on Oprah. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't want to get to that point either. That's why I don't read even the good ones. Cause I'm just like, I don't want, I don't want my head to grow any more than it already has. And, and that's very smart. Um, but, and then I got a bad review. I like got a one star where someone was like, this is the worst thing I've ever read. And I'm like, that's the worst thing you've there. Adolf Hitler wrote a book and this is the worst thing you've ever read. <laughs> I mean, don't you think that's a little bit overboard? And, um, my, yeah. my manager at the time, cause I had a manager back then, he said to me, Joe, once you start getting the two and three and four stars, that means more people outside of your circle are reading your book. And that's actually a good thing. Yeah. And, yeah, of course. And then once I, once I knew that I was just like, Oh, 
Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, this is good. This is good. So, but I'm I'm with you. I I try not to read reviews um, unless I'm using them for ads, like to say, "Hey, everyone, this is a five star review, and everyone loved this book." Yeah. Does your airline know that you have written a book, or are they completely two different lives? I I don't know. Um, I know that in natural conversation, it comes up on the jump seat sometimes. Uh, I mean, flight attendants are always very supportive of each other in the things that they do outside of work, of being a flight attendant. Uh, and so uh, from flight attendants, yes, I've always gotten a lot of support. Um, as for my airline, as like the big people at top, I don't, I, I'm, I don't, they don't know who I am. They don't know. They don't care. It's, and I'm fine with that. I kind of like to keep my head down. Right. Um, we do have a, um, Within our company, we have an, uh, a queer community group um, wow, that our company cool. has created. And so they know about it, and they've been very supportive in uh, posting on their Facebook page and social media and stuff like that. So so that part of the company does know, but I mean, does my uh, CEO or president give a crap about me? Right. We're just they, cogs they, in they, the they, wheel. They say they do, but yeah. yeah they're just cogs yeah, in the wheel. No. <laughs> Now, if somebody goes on social media, they're going to quickly find out that you are also a photographer. Yes. What came first, photography or writing? I've been writing since I was a little kid. It's always been something that I've liked. Uh, and I've been doing photography since I was, so writing since I was in like elementary school and photography since I was in elementary. So I started both of them around the same time, probably okay. in elementary school. Uh, I started to take photography seriously first um monetizing it starting a business and then and then because writing to me was always just like a, a way of coping with things i you know i, I made a post a, a few months ago before my book came out and i for the first time i never talked about it talked about how i have like 26 full journals from middle school to the end of uh, my college experience just filled with every single day and so those are the things that inspired my writing now, but I never, I, I never took it seriously. It was more like jotting things down. So I, I did take photography more seriously first and then later came writing. Are you still into photography now? Um, I am. I'm trying to get back into it. I took a break because of the book, because it got a little bit bigger than, I mean, I thought I was just going to kind of like self-publish this on Amazon and it was going to go out there. And, I, and, you know, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be, such a, a, a task, like how stupid was that to think that writing a book and publishing it was going to be easy. But um, so I, I had to put that aside for a while. And now that I've finished my first book, I'm trying to find a place where I can work on my second book and do photography. Um, have not gotten there yet, though. Have you had anybody, um, and this, I've had this happen to me so many times and because you're an author, I want to ask you, have you ever been working with somebody or you know, a friend and they're like, Oh, maybe I should write a book. Like, like, it's just like, you're going to go to the grocery store. I don't think, oh, yeah, every I, don't, single day. I know. I don't think people realize <laughs> what it takes to write a fucking book. They, and yeah. I'm always in I actually. I support people and I say, Hey, you know what? If you want to write a book, you should. But in my mind, mm -hmm. I'm like the way I process it. And I still struggle with this is my mind is thinking, what are you, what are you saying? Are you saying, Oh God, if you can write a book, I can write a book. 
Because yeah. <laughs> that's actually what you're fucking saying. What you're saying is, oh, you wrote a book. I should write a book. What? Well, then write a book. I, you know what, though? Those yeah. people that say that are not going to write a book. Yeah, no, never. <laughs> and that's okay. I was just curious about that because that's something that I, there's two questions. There's two things that I can't stand. It's that it's, Oh, I sh Oh, you wrote a book. I should write a book. I have a lot of funny stories. Well then write a book. Don't mm -hmm. tell me about it. I'll buy it when you write it. And the other thing is how's your books doing? Yeah. I hate that question. Thank you. Thank you. Do I ask you, how's your paycheck doing? Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, how's your job going? I find that to be a rude question. What do you think? I about do that? too. And I, I find it rude. You know, like there are people that can ask. My mom can ask me whatever she wants, and I'm always going to answer her. Right. Um, random people, I, I, I don't, I, I don't like it. And I just say, I, I usually just say it's doing, it's doing pretty well for itself in my head right now, just because of the way that um, my company, my publishing company works. Not because I'm a narcissistic person, but I know approximately exactly how many books I've sold. You do? You um, actually look at that? Um, because of the way that the, the, because of the way that it works, I do. I'm not looking for it, but when I log into the website, like the portal for where I submit things, it's like the very first page. Like I can't not read it just because it's right there. Okay. So I think, and then I'm like, okay, well, I don't mind telling this number, but are they going to, for my own ego, I'm like, one, I don't want to say, oh, yeah, I sold this money and then be like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And then we have to talk about it forever. But then I also am scared of the other thing like, oh, that's not that many. And then I'll be crushed and never write another book again. Now, when you <laughs> right, but don't you cannot do that. And I'm glad that you've already jumped right into book two, because that's what I did. Like, yeah. book one was still the ink was wet. And I was like, all right, I already got book two started. You're a self-published author. Am I correct? Yeah. Just like I am. Um, is your goal mm -hmm. to get a, um, a publishing contract, a deal, or do you like the idea of I'm a self-published author? I have full control of everything from the book cover to what I want to write, or do I want to have a publishing company who says, we don't like that book cover. You have to take this chapter out. You can't say that. So let me take a step back. Um, I, I'm in, I'm in, it's weird because I'm kind of in a halfway point between self-published and professionally published. The the company that I was self-publishing for uh, reached out to me to publish my book. So I, I was provided with an editor and um, a publisher. and But because I was originally self-publishing, I did have a lot of control. Okay. And I do own everything okay. that I write. Let's go back to photography for a moment. So okay. <laughs> what... If you could only do one, if you could do photography, if you could be writing, which one would you want to do? Where's your passion? Writing, 100%. Oh, that's good to hear. But I'll, I'll throw away my camera today if you told me I had to choose. So if you had to choose, if you were on a deserted island, you would want a journal and a pen. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's good. I feel the same way. I know you read a lot of books, am I correct? Yeah. What are you currently reading? So I'm currently reading a book. Um, it's, I don't want to say it's a self-help book, but it kind of is. It's called uh, Attached. Attached. And it's about, um, yeah, and it's about uh, how relationships and attachment styles 
and how we develop our attachment styles with the people in our lives. So it's, you know, there's three attachment styles and it teaches you like, I just thought it was interesting how to figure out your attachment style, how to make your, you know, figure out other people's attachment styles, how to relate to other people who have a different attachment style than you do. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like a five languages of love, but with a modern twist on it, you know? Okay. Yeah, no, I've, I've, I understand the philosophy of the five languages of love. So it's called attached. Yeah. So do you, yeah. read, do you read a lot of nonfiction or are you a more a fiction person? Um, I read more fiction. Okay. I this this book is kind of out of my. I, I wouldn't normally read a book like this, but it just kind of happened, and I I'm enjoying it. So, did something draw you to this book? Uh, my my it was it's been suggested to me my, by my friend Tyler a few times, and we talked about it. And I was like, oh yeah, that sounds super interesting. So I was at a uh, at the bookstore, and I saw it, and I was like, oh, like yeah, might as well just grab this one since I'm here. Is that Tyler Blanton, the guy who wrote the foreword in your book? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. How did you get him to do that? Did you just ask him? Did you beg him? You know what? Uh, Tyler is someone who has been through me through this whole process. And he says it in the forward. You know, I have seen uh, Zachary has told me all these stories and I he's been present for some of the things that inspired the stories. And he is someone who, when I was in the stages of like sending stories out to like my close friends to get feedback, which I had like four or five friends. He was the one who one, his first instinct wasn't, Oh my God, I love this so much. It's perfect. Right. Because you know, you send it to someone you love and they're like, Oh my God, it's perfect. You're perfect. You're so talented. Right. And I'm like, yeah, but I, I need you. you to, yeah. Like I need you to tell me like what, what part confused you, what's wrong with it. And Tyler always did that. And another thing that, and he says it in the forward that I always really appreciated was he understanding the point that I was trying to make in that, and I think you maybe you'll understand this as well because you've read it, the importance and the uh, heaviness of the small things that we go through mm-hmm. and how, you know, something really small is more important and more, um, it changes you more than the big things sometimes. I thought having somebody write your forward who knows you that well um, was a great way yeah. to start the book because you don't have to be ladies and gentlemen who are listening. You don't have to be gay to, to connect with this book. You can be straight. You could be a girl. You could be a, the, the football player because it's a journey through your love life. It's, it's a journey. We all, no matter who you are, you always, when you're younger and you're 17, 18 in your twenties, you love somebody that you can't have. Everyone has loved somebody that they cannot have. Yeah, and I think that with this book specifically, um, writing it was very cathartic. It was very therapeutic for me, and I felt like maybe uh, it was less for me and more about other people. Because I think that when you, to, to, to piggyback off of what you just said, I think that when you grow up different, if you grow up a part of the queer community, you are constantly, before you're out and even after you're out, you are constantly accommodating everybody around you. Every decision you make, you know, you know, people will say things like, I support you. I just don't like that part of you. And uh, my response is, that's okay. I totally understand. I don't really, but I, I'm accommodating them. I'm making them feel okay for being disrespectful. To me. And I think we all kind of have that in us. And when you stop accommodating people, it's, it's uncomfortable for them. And that's what I wanted to do with this book specifically. I wanted to say, here's everything. I don't care what you think about it. 
I, uh, if you don't want to read it, that's fine. But I hope you do because it was uncomfortable for me to write. And I think that if I went through it to put it out there for you, you should be happy to be uncomfortable to learn a little bit about me and accept me and the people like me a little bit more. I love that. It's almost like you read my notes because I have something in here I wanted to talk about that I didn't think we'd get time to. Um, and it goes back to when how we have to lie. You know, when you're gay and you're lying about who you are, it just becomes normal. Mm -hmm. But the people you're in school with in your 20s, your, your friends, straight people don't have to lie about who they are. They lie about other things. They lie about like, oh, I'm going out with Billy, but I'm, I'm really going out to do something else. But they don't have to lie about their sexuality, which is so emotionally draining. Yeah, because and it's, you know, it, it, it's how you love and how you love is the biggest part of who you are. You know, people will say like, it, like, I don't care that you're gay. And I'm like, no, like, I, I want you to care and I want you to accept because I want you to uh, stand up for me and understand that this is this isn't a small thing about me. It is because you know ultimately you know being gay is not who I am, but it is how I show love to people. It's how I love, and that's that's the biggest thing, right? Love. Right. Or, or, well, or, maybe I'm just 26 and grossly romantic. I don't know. Well, the fact that you're 26 and grossly romantic is so different because I'm. I don't even think <laughs> I was like that at that age. I was angry because. I thought it was unfair that I had to lie about who I am because when you're lying about who you are, there's shame in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, when you're a pedophile and you're lying about that, you're, you're ashamed of it because you know, people are going to say you're going to prison cause you're a pedophile. But when you're just mm -hmm. a gay dude and it's just who you love, there shouldn't be shame about who you love. So I, I had yeah. a lot of anger when I was younger. Cause I would think, well, you don't have to fucking lie about who you love. I did. I had to walk yeah. around acting like, oh no, no, I love, you know, I always had a girlfriend. Her name was Sherry. There was no Sherry. Yeah. There was no Sherry. My friends would be like, oh, you got a girlfriend over the summer. Oh yeah. Her name's Sherry. Where did she go? Oh, that bitch moved every yeah. summer. And Sherry moved. Yeah. And when you're lying about who you love, you're lying about everything else too, because it's not, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I'm straight. But then it's also, you know, your grandma asks you, are you seeing anyone? No, I'm going to wait. I want to focus on my studies right now before I get into a relationship. I mean, every, you were lying about everything. And no everything. straight people say that. No straight guy yeah. says, oh, grandma, I want to make sure I'm finishing college before. No, <laughs> right. no. Or and, uh, women, you know, women don't think that way either. It's, it's this thing about yeah. <laughs> the shame the world has put on the idea of being gay, which, you know, even in 2020, you know, I was growing up in the eighties where, um, I'll be honest with you. I never thought gay people would be married. Mm -hmm. And that was something that my mom would say. She would be like, you're never going to get married. I'd be like, well, maybe I don't want it. You're never going to have kids. Well, I definitely don't want that. So I appreciate that you wrote this book and that it, you don't have to be gay to read it. You know, the author's gay, but that's not who he is. He's a writer. He's an author. He just happened. And like you said, you just happen to love who you love. And I, I think that's very yeah. powerful. So I want to thank you I for writing it, this book. Yeah, of course. I wanted it to be very, um, queer people could relate to it. Straight people could understand better where our position is and appreciate the things that we go through a little bit more.
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Zach. Did you enjoy that? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I truly appreciate it. Well, this was fun. Um, I wanted to get to know you more. But before we go, you have to play Let's Get Grounded. It's a question game. (laughs) I sound so ridiculous. So I want you to pick a color, purple, green, blue, red, or yellow. Purple, always. Oh, my God. Everyone asks. Well, I've only done this twice. So (laughs) the purple (laughs) question is, and and this this is my favorite question. My husband actually came up with this question. On a flight from L.A. to Sydney, if you could sit next to any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Uh, dead or alive, I'm almost ashamed because of all of the wonderful celebrities, dead or alive. I still, I, I'm sorry, I still would choose Taylor Swift. I can't, I can't, I can't who? not I'm choose. sorry, I missed that. You kind of broke up. I can't, I can't not choose Taylor Swift. Like, I feel horrible about it. Like I wouldn't choose like um, Allen Ginsberg. I would choose Taylor Swift. Okay, and so for that- I'm gonna pick on, <laughs> I'm gonna pick on you for a minute. So you, what you're saying to me is this: what you are actually you're wrapping up this conversation, this fantastic interview conversation, and I ask you if you could sit with any human being, dead or alive, in the history of people. You picked Taylor Swift. I'm not proud, Joe. I'm not proud. I I feel like I should get in my car, fucking drive to Denver, find you at a coffee shop, and slap you upside the head. I love Taylor Swift, but she is pretty far down the fucking list. Even though I love her, like now, if she was, if she had her cats with her, then maybe because that little Benjamin Button is fucking adorable. Yeah, this is what I have to say to defend myself. Okay, go ahead. I I need this. I need you to defend yourself. I fell in love with Taylor Swift as a singer-songwriter when I was in middle school. And she has, because, you know, she's 30, I'm 26, we're somewhat the same age. That, like, my frontal lobe closed around that, right? Like, she, you know, it's like Grey's Anatomy. I've been watching Grey's Anatomy since I was in fifth grade. The show is horrible now, but I'm, I'm so invested, I can't not watch it anymore. Okay. And so I think that because I was so, I was just so young, you know, like it's been an important part of my life for 15 years now because she's an amazing lyricist. She's so relatable. I, when I'm writing, I, I think about her because I think her writing is so personal and she has always done that. She writes her own lyrics. So I think, I, I, I think that's my, my defense. I just relate to her. So, so much. And I've, I've been relating to her since I was a little kid. So, so for 15 plus years. If this podcast lasts 20 years, I'm going to bring you on when you're 46. I'll probably be dead. Uh-huh. But it'll probably be a computer or <laughs> artificial intelligence. And I'm going to ask you the same question. Yeah. I'm not picking on you. And now I realize you're not gay for who you <laughs> love. You're gay because you'd sit next to Taylor Swift on a fucking airplane for 15 hours. <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm just giving I, you a hard time. I know. You know, like I said, I'm not proud, but I'm also you know, like whatever. I'm glad you were honest. See, we don't lie. <laughs> would you anymore, rather right? me lie? No, you've lied. <laughs> yeah, would en- you rather me lie? Dude, you've lied enough. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. But thank you so much for being honest. Tell everyone where they can buy your books, where they can follow you on social media. Don't tell them what bookstores or coffee shops you hang out in, or they'll be coming there. But you know, this is the <laughs> part where you get to just sell yourself like a hoe. Yeah, totally. Instagram is the big one. Big one. It's uh, at Zachary Leo, C A C H A R Y L E O. 
And uh, my website is the same, the same handle, ZachFreelio.com. And those are the two, those are the two big ones that you can find everything at. Thank you. Where can they buy your books? Uh, Amazon.com. Okay. Barnes um, & Noble, Apple, Kobo, all of them. And you have ebook, hardcover, and paperback. Am I correct? Correct. Okay. Before we go, I forgot this. So last night with my three glasses of wine, I was, uh-huh. you know, playing music and being silly and whatnot. And I decided to, rec- I was trying to figure out, because I've moved my office around, and I was trying to figure out the microphone. I actually created an ad for your books while I was drunk. Do you want to hear it? I am dying to hear it right okay, now. Okay. I'm going to play it. Ready? Here. On today's episode, we have Zachary Leonard. He is the author of the book, Help Me Hold On To This, a collection of nonfiction. Nope, nope, nope. They're fiction. They're fiction. Don't get it twisted, Joe. They're fiction. And they're pretty incredible. And I promise you that no matter who you are, gay, straight, bisexual, trisexual, you look at your dog kind of funny, you are going to connect <laughs> with these stories because I did. Um, he goes all the way back to like when you were 16 and you really just were so confused about life. And then you'll sit there and you'll read and you'll say, oh my God, no, I really, really understand that. And then you'll flip to the next page and then it'll be three o'clock in the morning. You'll be like, oh my God, I have to work at seven in the morning. But that's what he's going to do. That is what Zachary Leonard's going to do if you read his book, Help Me Hold On To This, which is available on Amazon, iTunes, and wherever you find books. Now, it's not on iTunes, am I correct? It is. Oh, it is. Oh, perfect. You can have this ad. I'm going to send you. I don't know how to do this, but that is like a drunk flight attendant Joe ad. I need that. I, 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 I want that. I'm going to send it to you because <laughs> I love I want to create. I want to create like a very dramatic video montage and then put that over it. Oh, my God. Yes, it's yours. I'm going to put it in an MP3 and I'm going to send it to you. Thank you so much. Zach. Do. You have been so fun and I will talk to you soon. Yeah, All looking right. forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also, check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, <laughs> check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com. <laughs>